Hey, welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I'm, I'm really happy to have uh, my friend Dan Edwards with me. Dan is the uh, the president and CEO of Elliott Aviation. Uh, he took over a couple months ago, and uh, he's doing a great job up there. I've known Dan for a couple of years, going back to a prior company he was with. And Dan, happy to have you on. Thanks for being here today. So great to be with you, Craig. So uh, sunny Moline, Illinois today, negative 12 degrees. Yeah, is that- it's, it is beautiful and sunny and just balmy. We're we're getting after it. <laughs> so, gotcha. So um, so hey, look, you come with a great. I mean, obviously, uh, I see the KC ten in the in the the background and the picture in the background. So you come with a great aviation background from the Air Force. You've been you know you're CEO of a a, a company before taking over Elliott, and obviously you know the PE environment real well. How's uh, how have you found things walking into what was a very well established family owned company? to what is now PE backed MRO that's you know that's changing a little bit in a, yeah, in so a tough environment yeah it sure is and there's nothing mythical and magical about private equity it's not like private equity is the evil empire and there's this perception that you know this this outfit's going to gut the business and change the way we live change the way we operate and is just motivated by the almighty dollar and it's going to be irrational about the business and it's totally not the case any well-run business just fits well in a PE environment. I, I don't really see those things as, as mutually exclusive. I mean, from my perspective, when you're transitioning, and uh, truth be told, my predecessor was here for the transition. So, I, I mean, I'm not like first one in the seat since the transaction, um, but it's pretty, pretty soon after. I mean, for me, the most important part is preserving the legacy of the business. I mean, when you've got a business that's been around for 85 years and has the kind of brand recognition, at least in the industry, that Elliott Aviation does. To me, the most important part is preserving that legacy and, and keep the business connected to that because that is that is really powerful. It's, you know, I've been in businesses before where I've had to kind of kickstart a brand. It's so refreshing to be in an environment where you've got that brand recognition. You know, the flying E is up on the building. When our customers taxi by, they recognize it. And you know, where it shows or out in the market, I don't have to say what we do when I'm, you know, when I'm talking in business aviation about Elliot. You know, so really preserving the legacy, doing sound things for the business. I mean, that's that works in in any environment and certainly works in the in the PE environment. You know, what I would say is you got to be really careful being overly myopic. You know, I think that there's this, you know, again, a mentality perhaps sometimes you know, when a, when a new leader comes into the building and, you know, or, or whatever, or someone that comes with a PE background, there's a tendency to chase squirrels and say, well, this is kind of new. We can go do this. We can go do that. And I think it's really important to look at the legacy, truly understand what it is you're good at as a business and focus on that which others don't do. You know, chasing squirrels is great, but, you know, I have a two-year-old puppy at home and he, he loves chasing squirrels. It's all fun and games until you're you know, you're eight feet up the tree and you finally snag one of those things and you're falling inverted to the ground where you first time you think about, well, now that I've caught this thing, what am I going to do with it? I think that's good to keep that in mind. Stay connected to what you do well and don't get too far over your skis. Yeah. So let's just remind people about Elliot. You've got sites. So, you know, obviously family owned, you know, Wynn Elliott, 85 years of history, sites in Moline, Illinois, Dallas, Atlanta. And a couple more in the upper Midwest, Flying Cloud, which is effectively Minneapolis and uh, Des Moines, Iowa. That's right. And, okay, and, good. And, and uh, Atlanta, Dallas, and then Moline is our headquarters where we have our large operations. 
and the focus is on avionics, a lot of avionics, high 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 value added avionics, interiors, and yeah, bizjet, King Air MRO. Exactly, small to medium cabin uh, bizjet MRO. Exactly, you know, legacy business going back to two generations of Elliott ownership is is deeply tied to to the King Air. I mean, Elliott used to be synonymous with that, and you know, we had a a nickname back in the day that we were, you know, King of the King Air. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where our roots go back to. Yeah, you just had a big victory too on the on, on the King Air. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, touching on the avionics piece, so the avionics market is very strong for us right now. So we've turned more King Airs into glass cockpits than any other uh, MRO business out there. Not even close. I mean, we're we're double the next two of our competitors for. Garmin G1000 install. So, you know, we've got a lot of reps, a lot of experience with the Garmin product. And, you know, they recently just um, finalized this past, uh, you know, late summer, early fall, the STC on the emergency auto land and auto throttle systems. So now what Garmin has done is they brought technology that was kind of relegated to the high-end BizJet into the 200 series King Airs. So it's a really amazing technology. I got to fly it. Uh, and on the, on the demo flight with Garmin, um, their test pilot and their engineer. So I was in the right-hand seat for this demo. And I mean, I'll tell you, Craig, I mean, I've I got a decent amount of flying experience and a decent amount of jet time. You know, I've, I've operated, you know, avionics in a, in a 767 and in a, you know, a, a KC-10, a modern Air Force uh, aircraft with auto throttles. And, you know, it's every bit as good as those systems or better. I mean, I, you didn't experience that big pitch up and that instability as the auto throttles were surging. And my God, that emergency auto land thing, if, uh, you know, if you're up there flying with your family and you look up at the the, the cockpit and the, the pilot's incapacitated, you know, you can just unclip your seatbelt, walk up there and there's a guarded switch that says emergency auto land and you push it. And that aircraft goes into, you know, like a 30 second analytics mode where regardless of where you are, what altitude, it looks at not so much the nearest airfields, but the nearest suitable airfield that has medical facilities, um, that has appropriate length of runway for the weather conditions, you know, that kind of thing. And it identifies it based on fuel load on the aircraft and talks to ATC, sends out the emergency squawk and makes the, all the radio calls puts the thing into a descent, brings it down final approach, configures it, lands on center line, mm-hmm. stops straight ahead on the runway. Again, doing all the radio calls, alerting the emergency response vehicles. And it stops on the center line and shuts down the engines after having configured the plane for landing, gear, flaps, all that stuff. So I saw it. It's amazing. I was in the seat. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. I remember the first time I saw a glass cockpit, I was coming out of the Navy, uh, E-2 Hawkeyes with you know, the most ancient cockpit. And I look at the the SPZ-8400 in the Gulfstream, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. And now you look at that, and you're like, that's dinosaur age compared to what uh, we're dinosaurs now, it, uh, I think, is the uh, – so it's really cool to see yeah. all the technology and how it's you know gone from – you know, Global Express and Gulf Streams all the way down to King Airs and even Cirrus type aircraft. It's there. It's affordable. You think about a B-200, how many of them, how many of those aircraft are out there flying? It's in the thousands. There's a couple thousand 
that are target customers for Garmin and, and the install services that we provide. Yeah, so we are gearing up for that at all of our sites, quite honestly. Um, we're going to be doing avionics work at at all five of our sites. You know, Moline is kind of our headquarters where we do we do everything. I mean, we've been known for a long time with the quality of our paint and interiors work. So we obviously still have that and um, uh, here in Moline along with the maintenance. But avionics is really driving the growth strategy for the business the next I, next several years. I think for a lot of people. But but it's interesting for you. I mean, your locations are, I mean, obviously Dallas and Atlanta are pretty metropolitan. Are, are, yeah, metropolitan. But you think about Moline and. You know, some of the other places you're at, you know, your your rural Midwest or you know, and and you know, people being the you know, people being the big topic of conversation right now. Uh pilots being one thing, but more more importantly, skilled maintenance techs. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's really the the biggest driver, and not just for Elliot. I mean, this is true across aviation writ large, but certainly in MRO. Is um, it's having the talented technicians. I mean, the the, the pandemic wreaked havoc on this industry, um, and there's been so much turnover of of talent. And so, uh, you know, attracting and retaining that talent is the number one aspect of of having a a good business in, in the MRO world for sure. What are you doing? I mean, obviously, culture. You know, you're you're, you're working to preserve Elliot's culture. Maybe change it a little bit. But what are you doing to recruit? You know, what's the big focus on recruiting talent? Are you, are you growing it yourself? Are you, are you working with trade schools? Are you just trying to bring it in? You know, as you and I were talking about a couple of days ago, you know, you know, some mechanics are willing to change roles just for the, you know, for very capricious reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's, how do you create a culture where they want to stick we, around? Yep. We humans are fickle. Well, we don't like being hot. We don't like being cold. You know, we like being able to my view to not being cynical here. I mean, more, you know, being more serious now. I mean, we, we like being part of something larger that's successful. My view is, you know, we like to be part of a, of a successful team that's driven um, with a singular focus and has the well, my, my well-being in mind. So what we are doing here at Elliot is to create that culture, not of transition of, hey, new ownership or pandemic or do I have to come to work every day and all of those things that everyone's been dealing with and just create a central culture of delivering a superior product for our customers and very much a focus on customer satisfaction. So we've got tons and tons of KPIs. I mean, I could tell you down to the down to the minute what everyone in our workforce is doing every day and we can slice and dice that data and do all this optimization and planning, forecasting, capacity work. But really what it comes down to is the biggest, most important KPI is did that airplane get delivered on time or early? And did the person pick it up, leave with a smile on their face? And, you know, that is part, it's got to be part of the culture because that's what ultimately makes my job as CEO, but also my job as a technician fun when we can connect what it is that we do every day to create that value for the customer. So, you know, getting that connection with is kind of how we're driving the the culture. And when I get positive feedback on an engagement with a customer, I blast it out. It goes out in a newsletter, it goes out in an all hands meeting, or it goes out in an email. You know, I said, hey, great job team. Look at this feedback we got. And, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of starts, you know, that flywheel or that self-licking ice cream cone, if you will, of, of, um, of the culture. And then going back to your question, I mean, how, you know, it's really hard to build it, 
So partnering with tech schools is, you know, is predicated on you being in an environment where you've got one nearby. So not all our sites have that luxury. Part of the challenge there also is the the time from flash to bang is a little bit protracted. So, mm-hmm. you know, when your thesis is about getting prepared for growth that's right at your front door, um, you got to go out and you got to go out and find it. Um, so yeah. Absolutely. We we have a portion of our strategy that's associated with development. We've got a big piece of the strategy that's about you know bringing talented people in and in each different make different stratifications of talent. So, you know, we need experienced, you know, and supervisory type folks, but we also need, you know, we need younger ones, too. We're putting our our, you know, in the development and training piece, you know, we're putting our, our we're paying for it and we're putting our our youngest technicians through formal training. They're going to Garmin schools. They're learning how to become avionics professionals with the OEM. We're mm-hmm. networking with those that are getting out of the military. Obviously, I've got a close linkage there, providing those skill sets that are different than you would have experienced in the military working on, you know, on a, on a, on a B-200 is a little different than on F-16. You know, it, it's not as simple as, not that it's simple to pull a box from an F-16, but it just doesn't work like that <laughs> no on a on a on a b two hundred so you know I think so you know so we got to you got to touch all those different pieces, Craig, and I think you know part of the issue is um you know there's a lot of us competing for the talent, so pay is way up, um signing bonuses to get people to join the business, you, know, you got to sell the whole package, you got to sell the quality of life, you got to sell the community. You got to talk about how it's different working for an MRO than it is you working for an airline. We're not going to call you up in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner to go, you know, service aircraft that are coming in at a commercial airport because you work for an airline. You've really got to work all those angles. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. I mean, you talk about fickle. I mean, look, nobody's more fickle than the director of maintenance for uh, an, an aircraft operator, Part Ninety One aircraft operator. You know they. They they recommend to their boss, hey, we're taking it to Elliot or we're taking it to somewhere else. You know, literally their 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 job could be on the line depending on how oh yeah the maintenance event turns out. So the expectation of high touch, high caliber, high customer service is always there. And it's it's a little different, you know, it's you know, it's it's different than the airline environment where exactly it is much different than an airline environment. Yep. So, I mean, sometimes it's a challenge. Other times it's a real benefit. I mean, I like the moat that a high mix, low volume, high touch kind of business creates because we're not we're not turning out widgets. We're not working on the same airplane every day. And when you come to work for Elliott, you're getting that diversity of experiences. Every day is a different day. There's there's nothing mundane about your day at, at work because it, it every day is different. And there's a broad variety and the, the and the mechanics that grew up in this environment are super super skilled and and their talent is 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 precious and we got to look after it what do you do to keep the airlines from coming in you know obviously the airlines are out there poaching and they're they're like yeah. hey, over the water's warm we got a great union job over here and exactly exactly so go. i mean the grass is always greener i mean you know not that you know not, not that our hangers aren't heated and we don't know those creature comforts but you know in there's and I'm not saying it happens at Elliott, but there's definitely, you know, people that will they'll badge flip, you know, for, hey, this air this hangar's air conditioned in the summer. I'm gonna go work for the airline across the ramp during the summer months, and I'll come back to, 
to the MRO job in the, you know, in the winter or in those cooler temperatures. So, I mean, it, sometimes that's what it works out like, but yeah, it's, it's challenging because, you know, the airlines aren't all there. There's a definitely a quality of life aspect to being part of an MRO and much more of a family environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you have a team that like, like we have at Elliott, you know, it's, that's really the biggest thing that, you know, that we say when we try to dissuade someone or, or just make it clear to them that the grass is not always green on the other side of that ram. How about you? I mean, from your background, Air Force pilot, officer, commanding officer, you know, you've, you've, you've been a senior leader in a couple other companies. First MRO. Yeah. How did, yeah. How did walking into an MRO, yeah. What, what took you off guard? What, uh, what felt very comfortable, you know, when you, when you walked in, how did you evaluate kind of what needed to be done and, and the, the direction that you uh, you wanted to take things? So on the positive positive side, just, you know, being around airplanes, being around the smell of fuel, um, you know, it, it's in your blood, right? So, you know, with all those years in the Air Force and then some time in the commercial world, too, it's, you know, it, it that part's very, very comfortable. It didn't have to learn the language, so to speak. You know, also have some engineering in my background, so I can I can get fairly technical. But I, you know, I think going into the MRO business and admitting right off the bat to everyone on the team is like I, you know, I'm not a wrench turner, so you're going to be able to you're going to be able to fool me on some of those details, but understand how much I respect the work you do and how important it is to aviation. And very one of my very first all hands meetings, I did a whole presentation on. Going back to the Wright brothers, how important mechanics were to the growth of aviation. And I think that to me was really important to get that message out. You know, what I saw um, when I first started was just a tremendous amount of operational and execution opportunities. MROs, are, at least in their DNA, are not really designed around efficiency, especially when you're in a high mix environment and you have multiple aircraft types. You know, it's not like we're a 737 MRO here, right? Mm-hmm. This is, you know, this is, you know, every, like I mentioned, every day is a different day. So the biggest thing, you know, given kind of my operations experience in a manufacturing environment and, and, and other commercial roles, is I just see lots of opportunity for standardization around work processes, documentation of how, you know, work is done, you know, parts kitting, you know, things, really simple things is like, well, we should not be spending any time during the day using valuable technician hours hunting for parts. I should be able to reach out and grab the tools and parts I need from right where the aircraft is in the hangar. And so those are the kinds of things we're doing to really drive up our goal hour efficiency so that not only is our labor being highly utilized in productive work, but that particular labor hour is done much more efficiently. So that's was the thing that kind of jumped off the screen, so to speak, at me when I when I first got into the role. Is I see lots and lots of opportunity there, and it, and honestly, we got to be more efficient. You know, there's you know there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of our competitors, a lot of others in the MRO world that would love to have our customers and love to do the work we do. And in today's day and age, you're only as good as your last your last maintenance event, your last it's like engagement. It's like everything. It's like anything in today's day and age, right? What did you yeah. do for me yesterday? Exactly. So, and that just links back to that, you know, delight the customer bit. And so that's, that's super important. So yeah, uh, you know, another thing we're working on behind the scenes is enhancing that customer experience. 
and, and standardizing the way it's done at each of our sites. That was you know, something too. And that's and that really comes out of some private equity experience, having worked with businesses with multiple sites, is having that that standardized experience for your customer really does enhance the brand um, when it's done properly. So that you know there's an Elliott way that you're received and an Elliott way your aircraft is delivered. I see that as opportunity and what took you off guard a little bit and say, wow, this is I, I didn't expect this. I guess what took me off guard was just how many planes were working at once. You know, my I'm really hardwired to streamlining and improving operations. But I think er, my early days, you know, I just asked for kind of a briefing, if you will, or, or visibility on all the aircraft projects that are in work. And I think at the time we had 42 just here in Moline. And we had a project management team that that's not a fraction of that size, and they're managing six and seven projects a piece. So I'm like, all right, how do we keep all this straight? There's so many details here, and you've got a plane, an aircraft that's coming in for a full avionics, new interior, and a paint job, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and in the process of pulling out the interior, you find a little bit of corrosion, and that backs up the the flow for the whole machine, and mm-hmm. you know, so. I didn't have a full appreciation for that on day one. So that definitely, I'd say, yeah, caught me off guard. Harkening back to my days in engineering and project management, really had to kind of think about those fundamentals all over again and kind of use muscles I haven't for for a little while. So we're investing quite a bit in the in the program project management, you know, standing up a PMO function to not only accommodate the number of projects that we have going on simultaneously, but also working with higher velocity so that we're we're touching every plane every day i a plane that's sitting in the hangar or on the ramp that's not being worked on any given day is not generating revenue and it's not making a customer happy right mm-hmm. so you know i'd much rather have the same level of effort at a very high efficiency working on fewer aircraft and just get them turning more quickly so i'd say that was probably the biggest eye opener for me was was the backlog of work. Was that a little bit of a, so, you know, when you and I talked back at MBAA, you had mentioned the one thing is, hey, look, let's get fewer airplanes in. Let's do it right. Let's do it quick. You know, we'll, we'll get the assembly line going per se a little bit better. Was there, was there a little bit of disconnect now between your sales guys who are out there, who, your salespeople are out there who are motivated to go sell and your ops people who are, you know, who, who now have to eat what's what the salespeople kill? Or, I mean, or, or or was there was there was there an ability to find some harmony there? It's such an amazing tension. It's a great problem for a CEO to have is yeah. having a very successful and proficient sales team that's keeping the pipeline fed. So it's a good problem to have. And, you know, I'm knocking on my wood desk here. So so to say there's a disconnect, no. But the, the, the big challenge is matching the capacity at each site with the opportunities that the sales team is, is bringing in. So, so again, not so much a, a monetary investment, but more of a, a calorie burn is going into our capacity planning because that's another huge opportunity. And I imagine that's, that's the case at every MRO, but um, making the, the capacity that we present to the sales team as looking out as far as we can and making it as accurate as possible and refining it every four hours kind of thing so that it's, you know, so that we're, we're selling aircraft work that we can deliver on as opposed to, you know, being set up to fail before the, 
the right. thing even shows up because you don't yep. have the capacity. I mean, that's what kills you sell. You, you sell more than you can deliver, and that just kills your business. Mm-hmm. Hey, so you know, very healthy market right now. You know, a lot of airplanes flying. You know, business yeah. aviation. You know, how do you see? You know, how how do you see things moving? How do you see things? You know, do you, you see a steady a steady pace of this for the next couple of years? Yeah, I think you know, like we talked about, I think we're a little bit in in kind of a Goldilocks phase right now. Um, you know, there's still lots of cash floating around in the economy, and and people are willing to borrow money now to buy airplanes. So we're still seeing that. Aircraft, you know, the resale prices are still still super strong. I mean, you know, we're seeing late model, you know, two, three-year-old aircraft going for more than they did when they were new. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's still that dynamic going on. Um, although it's starting to, to normalize a bit, you know, I think in the next, you know, year or two, you're going to start to see a normal depreciation scale on aircraft assets. You know, it'll start to... See kind of that five to seven percent annual depreciation start to kind of normalize again. And that's really what it's been historically. So I think you'll start to see that in the next year or two. There's still a huge demand that I see. And, you know, I'll put it in air quotes, kind of middle America. And I mean that geographically. You know, it's a hard place to live and work and be supported by the commercial air system. I mean, the reality is, is, you know, you want to fly to Moline on a commercial flight. Depending on where you are, it's two flights for sure, right? You know, and how your connection is going to work out when it's 15 degrees below zero and 25 inches of snow on the ground here. Yeah, so I mean, there's a really a strong demand for the market acquiring and possessing the types of aircraft that we maintain. So I see that as 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 really really positive going forward. There's lots of aircraft out there that are right in our sweet spot. That could really use a new interior, a fresh paint job, and, and of course, you know the latest technology and avionics. So, so I, I see the next three years plus for our business in the MRO world being pretty solid. Do you see some consolidation happening? I mean, obviously, a lot of players. You guys are out there. You got some you know, standard arrows out there. You got some other folks out there doing. You know, everybody's fighting for a lot of the same resources. How do you see? Can the industry support? You know, all the players, or do you see a little bit of consolidation going on? Yeah, I think there's going to be consolidation. There's probably one or two too many of us right now. And we are, you know, we're really fighting for that talent. And I think those of us that have the talent and are not chasing too many of those squirrels that we don't know what we're going to do with when we catch them are the ones that are going to be successful. Again, my view, you know, I'm being very careful and not to say conservative, they don't want that to come out the wrong way, but I'm being very careful to not. Um, not tread in markets with aircraft where we can't be competitive. You know, where, where our competitors are really good, I don't, I don't want to fight them where they're good. You know, I want to occupy our niche and be super, super good at it, super efficient at it, um, and develop brand loyalty and, and customer loyalty and, and make that the big asset for Elliot. It's hard to do what we do. There's, I mean, the, I, my view is the bigger ones would, would love to perhaps do what we do, but they don't want to build what we do. So I don't know if that kind of answers your question. Well, it's really hard. I mean, if you're a small MRO, you know, you think about some of these small, really micro small MROs, you know, they're fighting for the talent. So they, you know, the labor costs are up, you know, they, you know, they're, you know, the insurance costs are up. It's a very capital intensive 
business. Mm-hmm. It's much like the small 135, 91 operators. You know, they're they're being squeezed with hangar costs, with pilot costs, with everything else. I suspect the same thing is happening in the MRO space as well. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. people with capital who can grow will grow and, and everybody else will sort of muddle along. Yeah, exactly. And there's, you know, there's there's kind of a threshold from a scale perspective that you have to get to to truly leverage your fixed assets in this business. And if you're not able to get your MRO revenue above a point where you really start to leverage those assets and you're just going to struggle and bounce off the bottom and really not really thrive. Honestly, it's a logarithmic curve and this MRO is a super fun business when things are going well. And you you get, you know, it's kind of like that compounding curve you know, that you learn about when you, you know, once you've saved money for long enough and that the, the rate at which your your net worth builds really has a steep curve. And so the further you get away from just, you know, managing your fixed costs, the further you get away from that, the steeper that curve gets. And um, and that's my view. That's that's the, the strategy. That's the key to, to really driving outsized results in MRO. Gotcha. How about your PE partners? I mean, their first you know, their first acquisition in, in this space, what are they learning about it? And what are they, what are their, you know, what are their expectations moving forward? So expectations are high. They're a super group, um, super pragmatic about, um, about the company they bought. Um, really difficult timing. They bought a great asset, but didn't know that the pandemic was about to happen. So, oh, yeah. you know, so it's been, you know, it's been a, a really challenging start you know, for the, their first, you know, aviation ownership. And you know, I've, I've just said, I'm like, don't let this be the one that sours you on the industry. I said, you just, it was a case of bad time. And this is a really good place. You've invested in a great business and future super bright. Um, it's really refreshing, breath of fresh air. Um, the team at Summit Park is so supportive. And I'm not just saying this because this mm-hmm. is, you know, it's not, not a commercial for them. But the reality is, is um, we get the room to operate, which is, you know, that's the ideal role, any ideal job for any CEO, having the degrees of freedom that you need to do the operations work. And um, and they're great sounding boards with sound business practices. You know, and it's not a huge firm, very accessible to us and to me. So, yeah, so it's been a tough start for them in, in their first couple years of ownership. But uh, we, we're bending the curve pretty quickly right now. So they're about to be super happy. I think that's anybody who invested, you know, any private equity group who invested in any business in 2019, all of a sudden March of 2020 comes along and you're like, whoa, what did we just do? Right. I mean, that's, uh, you know, Hey, look, it's, it's kind of a wake up call for everybody, but I think ultimately you find it's a, it's a, it's a cool place to be in a cool business to be in. When it's going well, it's a ton of fun. Doesn't the calorie burn doesn't get any worse when you're doing well. That's the best part. Once you real, I mean, when I talk about leverage, that's what I'm talking about. Just you know, putting all your fixed assets and all your energy and and the culture that you're developing, you put all that uh, to work, and uh, it it doesn't get harder when there's more work to be done and when you get more efficient at it and things start clicking. Um, you know, it's a great spot to to get to. You know, last thing, obviously, fun environment. You got a lot of young team. You got you know, you're 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 building it. What are you doing to teach your younger folks? To come up and, and hey, look, don't be a you know, don't be an hour employee. Be a be a leader. Be a be a leader. Be your mentor. Are 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 your younger folks coming in with that type type of mentality, or 
what are you doing to, to build that to build that culture in that organization? Some are, and to be perfectly transparent with you, that's something we screen for. So you know, what we're doing, what I like is um, creating this culture of accountability where you know it's extreme ownership, not only for you as an individual, but for what it is that you do for the business every day. And and the thing I talk about is every time we walk through the front door. I want us to think about what is it that I'm going to do today that will raise the bar for my team and for the business? And, and what is it that I'm going to contribute? So extreme ownership of and being accountable for the results is, is what we're looking for. That is not a lot, not a lot of that out there, honestly. I mean, it's something that we screen for. And, and I talk to every candidate, certainly, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing they got an interview with me. I mean, there's very few jobs in this business that we hire into that they don't get to spend some time with me, either on the front end or shortly afterwards. I walk through kind of the, the overarching things that are in our strategic plan, and I talk about the culture and uh, the accountability piece is super important. So what are we doing to develop that? It's leading from the front, um, expecting our middle middle layer of, of leadership, you know, our, our directors and supervisors to carry the torch for that. Um, they have to own it as well. And it's not just, hey, front office says I got to do this, but shift starts at seven, not 7.05. That's not the way I want to present it. it. It's, you know, when someone walks through the door five hours late for their shift, they want them to feel disappointed internally because they let their team down and that the team self-polices that and creates an environment where you just don't want to do that because you're letting somebody down that counts on you. Yeah, so that's that's kind of, it's a culture piece. Craig, and, and that's not an overnight thing. And when you've got an industry with the kind of turnover that we have, you know, it's it's winning one heart and one mind at a time and getting them deeply bought into the mission and vision. Yeah, not that I'm gonna, you know, look not that I'm gonna throw rocks at you know a big airline manufacturer based in Seattle, but yeah, you know, the, the 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 culture of somewhere along the line, you know, you see the companies out there who have created a culture of excellence and you've seen some who have let it slide a little bit. I think it's everything in this guy. Yeah, every, uh, yeah, how do you convince somebody everything that you touch, somebody's life will depend on that down the road. And it might be your, your son, your daughter, your, your wife, whatever, who's on that airplane. Exactly. Um, it's a toll you got to pay, you know, and ideally you pay the toll as you're going through the turnstile, so to speak, as opposed to getting the bill in the mail 60 days later, because then it costs you 20 bucks cost you two to start if you do it up front and you got to and then there's the whole sustaining piece too yeah exactly that, that's super super important culture of accountability and, and and safety and all the things this aviation industry just demands you, you don't you don't get away without it for long every minute of every day so but it sounds like overall you're pretty optimistic about the direction things are going the industry yep the super technology. optimistic yep it's it's um it's a good spot to be in. Super happy where I landed here at uh, at Elliott. I'm very energized by the team I find here, and we're we're building a really special thing, not from the ground up, but from the from the middle out. Call it, I guess. And all I'm doing now is I'm seeing the snow piles uh, in, in the window behind you. Is it going to is it going to warm up in Moline, Moline anytime? Oh so, yeah, soon? I, I really haven't. I've stopped studying the forecast. You know, when you've got to double your temperature to get to negative four. You know, it's not all that motivating to look at first thing in the morning, but I'm told we're going to hit, hit be into the 20s uh, next week. So it's winter; it'll be a heat wave. Yeah, but you know what? It's it's all relative, and uh, when when you're in it with a team, 
hey, listen, I'm sitting in front of a in front of a webcam with with Craig Pickin. There's guys servicing aircraft outside this window. I know working out the elements. So yeah, cool. no that's good. And, that, and that's some dedication. I mean, literally, yeah. Hey, look, it's I'm going to go to work. I'm going to show up, and it's going to be negative eight, and I'm going to go open up an airplane outside or go tow one into a hangar or whatever. And that's, that's, you know, that just shows you the professionalism in the industry for sure. It's, it's what it takes. And so proud of the team we have here. It's just, it's a great spot. Awesome. Well, Hey, will you come back on you know, down the road when things warm up a little bit, you can tell us about your project. Your, your progress. Love to. I'll, I'll let you decide that you can, uh, you can decide whether I make it back or not for, for episode two. This has been super enjoyable. I'm honored to be on it, Craig. Think we're gonna, the, we're gonna have you back. All the what you're doing and and uh, in the aviation industry and and the way you bring good talent to to teams is absolutely needed. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Well, look, let's have you back on. Go uh, go stay warm today. Go take care of the team, and we'll uh, we'll have you back on soon. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it very much. Appreciate it, Dan. Thank yeah. you. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com. Or check us out at www.northstaresg.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pickett.